What's going on, everybody? Kevin Wagstaff here, another episode of Spector Spotlight. This week we have Sheehan Thompson from On Site Inspections and Blip Reviews, as many of you know him. So I broke this up into two parts. Um, one, because it went over two hours long, it was a great, wide ranging conversation. But the first part is a lot of his background and his entrepreneurial journey that I think is very inspirational. And I actually broke that first part out on YouTube um, to reach a broader audience because I think it's just a great story. Um, and then I broke out the second part specifically for home inspectors because we get more into the specifics of being a home inspector, reviews, how to do things better. So I um, hope you enjoy part one and you can find part two um, where you usually find Thanks. All right. Well, we're rolling. So, Sheehan, thanks for uh, joining us. I've been super excited to have you on. Um, how's everything going? Good. Staying busy. Winter in Utah, treating you all right? Yeah, you know, it's a slow season, but it's good to focus on business stuff when it slows down. Yeah, and your slow season uh, is kind of different because you own multiple businesses, right? So, tell us a little bit about um, kind of who you are and the businesses you own. Okay. So yeah, I'm uh, Sheehan Thompson uh, here in Lehigh, Utah. Uh, it's about 30 minutes south of Salt Lake. And um, I own on-site home inspections, which I started in 2012. And then I also own a software company, Blip Reviews, that I started uh, with my neighbor in 2017, uh, early 2018. Very nice. With your neighbor, huh? Well, I want to hear about that in a minute. Um, but for everyone out there, we connected with Sheehan um, we've known them for, you know, known of each other and kind of interacted online for uh, at least a year or two. And then we kept getting uh, requests for like, guys, can you integrate with Blip? Can you integrate with Blip? And it's like, all right, we've heard this enough. They're doing good things over there. Um, so we can talk about that integration coming later. But yeah, let's hear a little bit about your background and um, uh, kind of how you got to where you're at. Okay. So uh, growing up, I... Uh was adopted at nine. Um, and my family, we were homeless from when I was about three or four until I was nine. Um, so I didn't, didn't go to school. You know, we lived in abandoned houses, slept on a dry riverbed, slept on people's front porch to get away from the wind and that kind of thing. Ate ketchup packets and, and sticks of butter, whatever we could find, which if you, if you ever eat dinner with me, don't complain about the taste of food. Because I'm going to say, well, it's better than eating ketchup packets. And people usually feel really bad. And they're like, okay, I'll just eat my steak that's a little over. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I say it to joke. People, people look at me like, why are you joking about this? But I've learned to joke about it. So I appreciate it. You know, and it's such a touchy thing when you hear someone's story. And, you know, we're going to get into it more. But, um, you know, we talked a little bit about it. And it's, it's so impressive. And just what you've been through. So, yeah. Go on. Yeah. So when I was uh, nine, I was adopted. My stepmom and my stepdad were really into the rich dad, poor dad stuff. This was in mm -hmm. 1997, 1996, right? Mm -hmm. when all that was really popular. Right. So she handed me the, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I recognized the word poor because we were poor. I recognized the word dad because my dad had left and that's why we were homeless. But I didn't know what rich was. So I asked her, what's rich? And she said, that's where people have a lot of money. And I said, well, how do they get money? And she said, they have businesses and own real <laughs> estate. And so she's like, and I was like, wait, people have more than one house. And she's like, yeah, they buy houses <laughs> and rent, rent them out. And I was like, we, I didn't even have one. Right. So just right. thinking about that, just 
I wanted to read it, but I didn't know how to read because I never went to school. So uh, luckily it's a pretty easy book to read and it's pretty, it's like a story format. So um, I was able to learn how to read, I was motivated to read that book um, to see what it was all about. And so after I read that, my mind kind of opened up and luckily also the internet was coming around. Uh, I remember the, we had the DSL, it was Dave's dog house. And I remember it would like mm-hmm. the little picture would show up connecting the internet <laughs> to your house. <laughs> Everyone can relate to that. Yep. And you hear like the loud phone noise. So the internet was coming out and I, I just became like research, a research junkie, like a sponge. Mm-hmm. So I would, get like sticky notes and write down stuff I wanted to look up on the internet and you didn't have Google back then. So you, I would just type stuff in the URL bar. So like flubber came out with Robin Williams. So I would Google www or I wouldn't Google type it I'd in. Put, I'd type in yeah. www.flubber.com and see if something came up or <laughs> NFL or NBA, like anything that I could think of and write down, I was researching it. So I learned the computer pretty quick, you know, at 10 or 11 years old and just, you know, became, uh, infatuated with the internet and learning and research. Um, so that's carried on to today. So, um, then when it, you know, I went through high school, it didn't really have plans to go to college, um, because I didn't want to be a dentist or an architect or a doctor like the other, the other kids. I just want to start a business. So, um, I graduated and my, my, when I graduated, the way I was adopted was that when I turned 18, I was basically on my own. Oh, man. So the state of California sent me a letter. It basically said, you know, Sheehan doesn't have parents or anyone that's financially supporting him. So it was basically a letter that I could give to other people that said, you know, if you could give him financial assistance, he needs it type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I got that and I was like, wait a second. Like, this is really weird. <laughs> here's a letter for you to give to other people saying that you like don't have any financial support. So my step parents gave me $200 and then I packed all my stuff in a, in my car. Um, and they said, you're like, you're on your own type of thing. So I, uh, they also gave me a thousand dollars for a laptop. Um, our agreement was if, if we got a 3.5 or higher then they would give us a thousand dollars for a laptop. So I had, Twelve hundred dollars. Um, ended up buying a car for thirteen hundred dollars, um, and you know using that to drive around because they took their car back. And yeah. then I sold it. I painted it and put new hubcaps on it. And there was a leak in the exhaust. And then I sold it for twenty nine hundred dollars three months later. Your first flip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. I got to use the car for three or four months, <laughs> and I sold it for you know, a bunch more money just yeah. by doing a $400 paint job and, and some $20 hubcaps from Walmart. Um, so yeah, that was pretty neat. And then I uh, bought um, another Camry. So that was a Camry and I still have that Camry today that I bought with that $2,900. It was 2007 it has 220,000 miles on it, but it'll run forever. Yeah. So I, I just needed a reliable car. So I moved to Utah um, and actually it did, did end up applying for college. Mm-hmm. I got a scholarship that paid for everything, but the, I, I had to have 16 credits to maintain the scholarship. So I didn't know what that meant because I'd never done credits before. Right. But it was a lot. It's not a light load. Yeah. No. <laughs> from what I remember. So um, I think I was, 
my first class was at 6.30 or 7 a.m. And then my last class was at 3. Um, and I'd come home and, you know, you got homework and other things. Um, and then I had my car payment, which was $365. I had my room rent, which was another three or $400. Had food. Um, so then I worked at Sizzler nights and I go to bed at like midnight and do it all over again. And it was exhausting. And so I remember asking my roommates, I'm like, how do you guys do this? Like, how are you paying for everything? And they said, Oh, our parents bought our car or our parents pay for my food. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. <laughs> must be nice. Right. Um, and they were taking like 10 credits or eight, just like hanging out half the time, hanging out. Yeah. So after a semester, I failed a couple of classes. Um, and someone told me about selling door to door, um, pest control or security systems. And I thought, well, that's a good way to earn money and then I don't have to work during school. So I tried that, uh, moved out to California and sold pest control, uh, met my wife and then we moved up, um, to Utah, went back to Utah in 2010. Um, and I tried to go back to school, but apparently you're supposed to let them know to save your spot. <laughs> so I get a letter and they're like, yeah, we've basically given your spot to someone else because you didn't write a letter of deferment. And I'm like, what the heck's a letter of deferment? Like, like yeah. I was the first one to go to college in my family. No one prepped me for, like, you're, you're supposed to do this. I just didn't go the next semester. Right. Apparently, you're supposed to let them know if you're not going to show up. Not many college kids should or would know that, honestly, unless, uh, you know, they're explicitly told it. That's uh... Right. Well, I would think if you had, like, if you if you told your parents, hey, I'm le I'm not going to go, and then they would say like, oh, make sure you defer. I didn't even know it was a thing. So then I am taking classes that I failed um, online, so that because mm -hmm. in order for me to get back in, I had to pass those classes again. So mm -hmm. I'm getting blurry, probably because I'm talking with my hands. Are you good? Um. So yeah, I took those online classes, and then. I came to the realization that I'm going to spend 18 months doing generals and, and all this stuff before going into business. And I just wanted to go into business. So I went to the counselor and I said, Hey, can I just go to the business school? And she said, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Like I, she's like, you don't know what you want to do with your life yet. So you have to take all these generals. And I said, yes, I do. I want to be a business owner and a real estate investor. And she said, well, you still have to take all the classes. And I'm, I'm talking biology, calculus. I'm like, I did all this in high school. Why am I doing it again? And spending money to do it. And then also the time. And so, you know, my internet days as a child kind of kicked in. And I'm like, these days you can go on YouTube and learn how to uh, open up a corporation. You can just learn anything you want to learn online. And from books, like I've always learned stuff from books. So I took the book money they gave me for school and I bought like the whole rich dad, poor dad series mm -hmm. and a bunch of other business books. And then I just started reading books. Like I, I read books probably six or eight hours a day, just digesting everything. And so, um, that I did that for about two years and I was finally to a point where I knew a lot but I didn't really have an opportunity. So I kept thinking like, okay, now what? And my wife's parents were like, what is this bum doing? She's <laughs> reading books all day. Like, what's he going to do with his life? Cause my wife's dad's an architect and he makes good money. Um, 
he works in LA and they were just like, you need to be a research attorney because you've got this memory. And I'm like, that sounds really boring. Right. Being a research attorney and I have to go to law school and all that. So I'm like that. I'm like, no, I want to start a business. And they're like, well, what business are you going to start? And I said, I don't know. I just want to start a business. And they're like, well, that's not good enough. And so they were kind of pushing me and to go back to school. Um, and I was just like, come on, I need something. Mm-hmm. So then um, I got into like internet marketing, website building, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The home security company I worked for was getting calls from reps saying, why, is, why was my paycheck low? Or um, is, did, this, did this contract fund? And they were just bugging the office. So I said, well, why don't you guys build a website that they can go to and check all that stuff? And they had no idea how to do that. Of course. So I don't even know what it was. It wasn't WordPress, but I found some website builder. And just looking back on it, I'm like, I don't know what I was doing. (laughs) But somehow I pieced together a page that had the reps' names, what their check was going to be, what their cancellations were, and all that stuff. And I sent it to the office manager, and she was like, this is amazing. And she's like, how much time did you put into this? I'm like, I don't know. I probably spent like four or six hours figuring it out um, and putting it together. And, and she's like, well, we'll pay you $200 a month if you update this once a week. And so it took me five minutes a week to update that. And I was making $200 a month and I'm like, okay, that's 20 minutes of work for $200, but it's not enough to like live off of. Right. So I'm like, if I could figure out how to like multiply this, that'd be nice. And I read, um, the four hour work week is how I kind of got into figuring out, um, that you could do something small like that and, and have it get big results. It's where I first learned about like passive income. That's not real estate because the problem with real estate is you need a lot of money down. Right. But with, with online businesses, you don't need any money to just create something that someone, that someone could use. Right. So the four hour work week was, was probably as close to an eye opener as rich dad, poor dad was for me just because it, he's like, you don't need a lot of money. You don't, you just do something that's simple that provides value. And so that's what that website was for that company. Um, so they ended up, I think going out of business. And so that lasted about a year. And then, um, and then when I got up to Utah, I started doing, uh, some, I knew some business owners and they said, um, they asked me about Facebook pages when you used to have to like, like the page in order to right. see what the page had. I don't know why my camera's doing this. If I stand away. So they called it like gating where you'd have to like it in order to see the content of the page. Right. So no one knew how to do that. They had a software um, I can't remember the name of it. It was Nathan Latka uh, that had a software that you could buy and then you could just add business owners to it. It was like a, mm-hmm. um, a white label. So I set up a PayPal landing page and um, I turned it on and, and sent, it, sent it to this Facebook group and sent it in an email one day and it was a hundred dollars that I would create their Facebook page, put their logo on it and that kind of thing. And, um, they had a little, little, little bell that went off every time someone signed up. 
And my wife and I were just sitting there. I had turned it on and then about, I probably turned it on at like two or three in the afternoon. And then at like five or six, when people probably started getting home from work and signing up and seeing it, the bell just started going off. Like it was like one every, one every 10 or 15 minutes. And then at like seven or eight, it was like three every five minutes. And I ended up making like 1500 or $2,000 that night. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Whoa. <laughs> I'm like, this is crazy. Like, cause I was working at, I think I was working at Wells Fargo or uh, a real estate company. Either way I was making 10 to $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. And I just made $2,000 in like four hours. So, and I didn't even do anything. Um, <laughs> now I had to still build the pages afterwards. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those people, like I ended up trying to, I'm like, I need to set up your Facebook page and they never got back to me. So I never ended up building their page. Um, But again, I had the thought of leverage, leveraging technology. And so I bought all the books that I could find on, like I bought WordPress for dummies, read that, learned how to build websites, played with WordPress, um, learned about SEO, uh, just anything online marketing that I can get my hands on. And then I discovered the podcast, Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn. I don't know if you've listened to that one. I've heard of it. Yep. And I probably spent three weeks, again, just like eight hours a day, just listening to every single archived blog post and everything that he he did um, and just took all that information in. And then I kind of sifted through it and found what pieces were actionable. And then um, I started... I, so I had all this knowledge and I was ready to start a business. I just didn't have an opportunity. And then I lost my, um, I lost my job um, in October, October, 2011, we bought our house and then uh, we were able to rent the basement out for all, but I think it was six or $10 a month that we had to cover. And then in uh, right before Christmas, I think or right after Christmas, I was laid off from that job Um but luckily we had the, we had the basement running out. So we, we were fine with my wife just working. Um, and then in April, well, so I got another job in like February that was paying $10 an hour plus commission. Uh, it was on, or it was a phone security sales um, job. And then April, my son was born and in May, uh, they changed it to $10 or commission whichever was higher and just phone sales is hard. They had it on an auto dialer and you'd like make a sale and then the technician would go to the house and say something wrong or do something wrong. And they would say like, I don't want to hear anymore. Or they canceled before he got there. So it was, it was grueling. And so I ended up, I ended up quitting. The, the guy was like, she didn't come to my office and, He's like, what's going on? And I'm like, this job is crazy. I talked to the same guy four times in the same day. And they're like, no, that doesn't happen. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you guys just like throw names in this and everybody's talking. <laughs> and he's like, didn't I just talk to you like an hour ago? So I'm like, this is, so he, he noticed that I was kind of, and then the worst thing is that they listen to your phone calls. So he was listening to a phone call of mine. And I hate when people, like do stuff like that brutal yeah yeah i'm like 
So I think I just hung up on the person, to be honest with you, because I just didn't even want to deal with it because I knew whatever I said, he was going to be like, going to lecture me. Right, right. So he's like, come talk to me. And I'm like, I'm done. And he's like, I'm going to give you two more weeks to figure it out. And I'm like, no, like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to stand up and walk out right now and find something else because this is call center life is and Mike and I both have had call center jobs and it just gives you an appreciation for anything. That's not a call center job. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's sales and especially on the phone and door to door is so based off of your, like your emotional state because when we needed rent money, my wife's like, you need four sales today in order for us to pay rent. And in two hours door to door, I sold four, security systems and made $2,000. But then the next day you're like, well, I don't need it. So, so right. it's all, it's all emotion based, motivation based. Um, and so if you're feeling crappy, then you're not really going to do well. Right. So I went home, my wife kind of freaked out. I was like, it was $10 an hour. Like I could probably do something better, like learning something than making $10 an hour. But we had just had our son and she wanted, she was on maternity leave. She wanted to quit her job to stay at home. Mm -hmm. And um, sorry, this is one of those like emotional moments in your life. I was rocking my son. He was two weeks old. I was rocking him to sleep and I looked down at him and I'm like, like you have no idea right now. What's like, what's going on. Right. And, um, and I, and I thought, I don't want him to go through what I went through. Like, I don't want him to have, not have food or not have shelter and not have electricity. And, um, cause we used to turn the electricity on illegally at the houses that we lived in and that kind of, like that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have water. We used to open up the oven to heat up the house when they turned the gas off and that kind of thing. So that was kind of a pivotal moment for me. I said, I'm, I need to figure something out. Like something's got to work because I got to take care of this kid. And it, it's different. Like when you have a spouse and yourself, you're, you, you're like, you can, you can figure something out. But when you have a kid or someone else that you're responsible for, it's like way different. So, um, so I said, I got to figure something out. And I knew I wasn't going to quit. I was never going to quit. I just did, never had an opportunity. The right opportunity had not presented itself yet. And that quitting was never in my head. People say like, oh, well, were you going to quit? And what was it like when you were about to quit? I, I was never going to quit. There was just, I just didn't have the right opportunity. And a lot of people think like, oh, well, I don't need, I just need the right opportunity. But the problem is, is that you also need to be prepared for the opportunity. Because me reading books and knowing how to do accounting and starting a business and learning all that stuff, it was in my head. I just need the opportunity. But if, if an opportunity comes your way and you don't have all that knowledge, then you're not going to be able to take advantage of it. And it's just going to pass you by. Right. But a lot of people say, Oh, they just sit around and they say, well, I'm waiting for an opportunity. Well, what are you doing to prepare yourself for the opportunity? So I just think that's an important thing for people to know is you gotta do whatever it takes to be ready for it when it comes your way. Huge. And it doesn't always come in your, obviously in your case, it doesn't come right when you feel like you hit that first level up and say, cool, I read a few books now, you know, world, give me a good opportunity. <laughs> I think you, right. you really paid your dues and hung in there. It sounds like so. Yeah. My wife is very patient with me. And, and I mean, her parents, like I said, a lot of pressure, 
uh, was put on me. And most of the time too, your parents want you to be who they were. And so her dad's like, I want you to be an 80 hour a week, self-employed professional. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't, I don't really want to do that. I want to build a business and have employees. And he's like, well, employees don't work. I had employees and they don't, they don't do as good of a job. And so I fired him. And I'm like, well, maybe you just didn't do it right. <laughs> right. But everybody wants you to be who they right. are because they don't understand what's beyond that. Right. Um, and I remember Kirsten's grandma said, she's like, what are you going to do with your life? When I first met her and she's like this very strong uh, Hispanic personality woman. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to, build a business and invest in real estate. And she like scoffed at me and said, well, that's altruistic. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) So I use that as motivation to like, I just, I'm the type of person that's quiet and I'll just kind of work away and chip at it. And then when it comes to fruition, people are like, wow, like you did something. So, um, my wife, I looked into doing home inspections before because my grandpa is a home inspector. Okay. So my step stepmom's dad, it's very complicated because I'm not related to him at all. Um, but he lives in Utah about an hour and a half north of me. So Kirsten's parents had bought a flip property and they had no idea what they were doing. It was, it had like six holes in the ceiling from the roof leaking. It was just in really bad shape. Um, so they were in way over their head and, um, I remember they were like staring at, you know, how a swamp cooler has like a duct in the hallway right, on the ceiling. They were staring at that for probably 20 or 30 minutes trying to figure out what to do with it. And I'm like, they had a hard money loan paying this interest and they're spending 30 minutes thinking about what to do with this swamp cooler duct. So I just grabbed a drill and pulled it down while they were all standing there. And I'm like, there, tell the drywall guy to drive all over this. And they were like, all right then. <laughs> and then they're like, what do we do with this? they had that old wood um wood what do they even call it the panel boards mm-hmm. in the basement they're like what do we do with this and i just grabbed a crowbar and started tearing it apart but i you know as a kid uh and a teenager my stepdad always tried to get me to fix cars i'm like i hate fixing cars it's tight spaces you know you get grease all over it's just nasty so i always said i'm not good with my hands but my my dad was was a master plumber, electrician, and handyman. Mm-hmm. So when I did that flip house, my mother-in-law says that um, she thinks that the reason why they did that, they didn't make much money in the end when you split it all up. I think it was like $6 an hour with all the man hours. <laughs> but she's like, the whole purpose of that flip house was so that Sheehan would realize that he's, he's good at houses. I wasn't good at cars, and I thought that meant I wasn't good at houses. Right. But I'd never tried to fix anything on a house or do anything like that. So I learned how to tile, tiled the kitchen, uh, tore out the cabinets, hung new cabinets, learning from YouTube how to hang cabinets. Just self-taught, just yeah. teaching yourself, looking it up. Yeah, and, and I liked it. There was no tight spaces. There was no grease. So that's kind of where I thought, yeah, I really like doing this. And I'm, it must be a gene that my dad passed down, um, <laughs> being handy. So... I did that. And then, and then that's when I signed up for a home inspection course. Um, and, but then I, it sat there for like six months. I didn't start it right. until, until, you know, I'm rocking my son. And then the next day my wife's like, well, what about that home inspection course you bought? And can't you go up and just see what your grandpa does? 
because I remember my grandpa, uh, when I left after high school, I moved in with them for about six months. Mm -hmm. I just remember him. His office was terribly messy. He had papers everywhere and he was printing, um, paper reports. Mm -hmm. So it was like 30 or 40 pages per inspection and there's papers everywhere and he was using like the backs of some of them for a new inspection. And I'm like, I don't know how you keep track of like, how do you know which house is the front and which house is the back? So, and I remember his phone just rang all the time because I was on the phone once and he got really mad at me. And now I understand why, because that was his business phone and he could have gotten an inspection call and I was on the phone, but he'd leave the house in the morning, come home and he had this lazy boy and he would sit in it, prop it up, time his watch and pass out. And then 15 minutes later, go off, he'd turn it off, sit up, you know, go tearing out the door again. And then three hours later, he'd come back, sit in the lazy boy, prop it back, time his watch, fall asleep for 15 minutes, wake up again, go running out the door again. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? And he was doing inspections and then coming back and taking a quick nap <laughs> between inspections. <laughs> so now I know, now I know what he was doing. That's funny. So I went up there and followed him around. He was about to retire. Um, I think he's 70, 71. Uh, but he started his business in 1999. And uh, this was 2012. And he ended up only doing 23 more inspections before he retired. And I went mm -hmm. on all 23 of those. And a, another point is that I had to drive an hour and a half, didn't have a job, and he didn't pay me. I was going to learn for free what he did and a lot of people say like like when you train an inspector like what are you going to pay me during training I'm like well i'm not paying you <laughs> what you think that you want to be paid uh, because i you know if you're going to learn something i don't think that people should pay you to learn that right it's like are you motivated do you want to learn it and if you're not being paid you better learn a lot faster because if your mortgage payment depends on it, you better, you better learn quick. Exactly. So, um, it was an hour and a half there, hour and a half back, um, for a couple months. Wow. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm analyzing efficiency processes. He's a talker. So I remember me and his apprentice would sit in the car after the inspection for like an hour and he's just talking away. And then I'm like, grandpa, we have another inspection that started, uh, 30 minutes ago. <laughs> and he's like, Oh shoot. And then he gets in the car and we speed over there. And then the client's there for the walkthrough at the end. And he's like, Oh, they're already here. And I'm like, yeah, because it's the walkthrough time. Like, <laughs> you should, we should have started this inspection hour, hour and a half ago. So he's just, that's why he was tired and coming home. Cause he's, he's a talker Yeah, and never took a picture. Always on a clipboard with paper and pen yep. and little, little notes that you couldn't read. And this is in 2012 even. Yeah. yeah. So okay. He started in 99 with the a hit software. Um, I can't remember if that's what it was called, but, um, he never changed. He never increased his fee. It was always $235 for up to 2000 square feet. I'm like, you have to at least keep up with the 3% of inflation. And he just kept it the same, um, the entire time. And so I'm like, grandpa, why don't you use a tablet or a phone and why don't you take pictures? And he's just like, I don't have time. I don't have time to innovate is basically what he said. Right. Right. 
and he was doing his own accounting. I mean, he was just doing everything on his own. I'm like, man, this guy's really inefficient. Um, and he did, you know, three or 400 a year on his own and it was good enough for him. And he had an apprentice that, you know, as he was older, would get up in the attic in the roof and do the crawl spaces for him. But um, it was just very slow, very inefficient. And so I took that and I um, researched all the software companies, wanted something that looked good, was fast, take, take a lot of pictures. Uh, because I thought if I'm buying a house, I'd want pictures of everything. Right. Um, At what point um, through kind of the apprenticeship did it kind of click in your head to say, all right, this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do, or this is what I'm going to pursue. Well, okay. That's that's a good question. I, I left that out. So the first day um, he, we did three inspections and I saw, you know, at the end, I'm like, okay, whatever, we're on to the next one. And at the end, the client wrote a checkout for $300 and I'm like, okay, whatever. The next one, $320, the next one, $380. I'm like, wait a second. Huh? I'm like, I can do math. I love math. <laughs> like that's a thousand dollars in one day. I'm like times five is 5,000 times four is 20,000 a month. I'm like, I think I could do this. Perfect. For 20,000 a month. So I'm motivated by, I, I don't want to say I'm motivated by money, but you, I'm motivated by money because of what money can do, which is provide for my family. Um, so that like, that again, my mind opened up. Yeah. And I said, wow, like I can do this. So it was that first day that I saw those checks coming in. Um, and then I thought, you know, he hasn't increased his price. He's really inefficient. Can he do one more inspection if he were more efficient, which would be more money? Uh, can he leverage it with employees? Can he leverage it with software? So my mind just was off Took to off. the races. Yeah. And so I went home and I built my own website. Um, he was selling his business to his apprentice that worked mm -hmm. with him for, you know, four or five years. Right. And I didn't really want to take over his business anyways, because he was so far away. Um, even to this day, we don't really go up where he's at. Um, even, you know, right. seven, seven years later. So I went home, I knew how to build a website from Word, WordPress for dummies. So I started piecing together a website. I knew about 99 designs. So I went on there and had a logo made. Mm -hmm. um, I knew how to, you know, start an LLC. So I had that all done. So everything uh, with a business I knew how to do from reading. And so I just started doing it and chipping away at it. And then they have this thing called uh, Google Plus Local that came out in 2012. And I'm like, this is like, what is this? The, the Google Plus thing didn't really take off. I'm like, what's Google Plus Local? And so I kind of looked into that and then they, they said, okay, well, we're starting to do reviews on Google. And I didn't, Yelp was like really the only thing that was popular reviews wise. So it wasn't really, it was like restaurants. It was like the only thing. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like review your plumber. Like that wasn't a thing back then. So I picked up on that, um, made my website. And then a lot of people don't think about their website as a way to get business. They want it to look pretty and that's really all they think about. So I made sure that I had a process where I was getting uh, online quotes and here in Utah, a coupon is like, people will die over a coupon. <laughs> it's crazy. Yep. You have all these stay at home moms are trying to save money. Yeah. 
you know, they might be struggling. So they're like, if you're, there's a, there's a, there was a show called like coupon something, but most of the people on there were, I'm pretty sure in Utah. That's fine. What an odd thing. Yeah. They're like we got a coupon on diapers. So I bought 5,000 <laughs> and, and, but sometimes though they, they buy like 80 things and it's like $2. Like insane. Yeah. They were doing it in a way that they were researching and spending a lot of time on it. Right. So a, coup, yeah. a coupon's big here. People were like, why are you offering a coupon? And I said, well, I just increased my price $20. Then I offer a coupon if they do an online quote for $20. So Psychology. I yeah, yeah, so I didn't really lose money. But uh, we get a ton. Of, I started getting a ton of online quotes. And then every client, I made sure that I uh, asked them for a review at the end. And mm -hmm. I sent them a link. Um, and I followed up with a phone call. And so I, I got seven, 60 or 70 reviews pretty quick. And then with, you know, home inspectors aren't really tech savvy. So it was pretty easy for me to get up to the number one on organic searches on Google. Right. And then they had the map pack, which was, they had seven listings at that time. And so I got up to number one on that. Uh, probably within four or five months, I was number one organic and number one on the map pack. And then it just kind of snowballed. So my strategy was, to do an inspection off of the Google search, and then I'd follow up with the agent and then they'd start using me because my process was better. My report looked better. The pictures were good. And so that's kind of how we snowballed up to this point. Um, wow. I, I want to stop real quick there and highlight the fact that you followed up with a phone call because that's something no, like no one does, you know, inspectors, everyone's all about overscaling now and forget that. Hey, if you call someone ups your chances of them doing what you want them to do. Yeah. I'm more time than money probably at that point. Yeah. And, and I'm terrified of talking to people. I'm not antisocial, but sometimes I can be socially awkward. And um, a lot of times if I talk to someone for a long period of time, I'm like really drained and tired afterwards. So I got to take a nap, <laughs> which 15 wife, minutes in the lazy boy. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> no, like, like an hour in a yeah. dark room. But my, my wife's mom, she used to be like, where's she in? And they all look for me and I, I was passed out in a room somewhere. And she was like, that is really rude that he just leaves and falls asleep. <laughs> so, but now they're like, understand. They're like, where's she in? And they're like, well, we don't know. And they're like, well, he's probably asleep somewhere. Just Recharging his a, battery. Yeah, I have a limit. And so, so yeah, for me to call people is definitely outside of my comfort zone, but it wasn't a cold call. That's the important part is right. that I had just done business with that person's client. So it was a lot easier for me to talk to them and they were more willing to listen. Yeah. So, um, so I call them, some of them I met in person for an hour. They basically like a job interview. And so I got, you know, a few top agents that way, but still most of our growth every year is still from the buyer finding us on their own. And then the agent, if they don't use us, then we have follow-up um, to get them to, to use us. And I haven't, I haven't done many office presentations. I've maybe done like a dozen because, again, it's not my thing. Uh, we've never had a marketing rep. Um, I use uh, software to do follow-up texts and emails and all that stuff. Or I use web pages. Uh, so, so send an automated email with a link to an agent that has like, here's a sample report. Here's what we, how we do things. These are our values. Uh, this is how you schedule an inspection and all that's automated. So nobody has to do anything. Um, 
So it's crazy that the amount of automation tools that we have with online schedulers and triggered texts and emails, the amount of things that you can do that people aren't utilizing. It's, yeah. It kind of blows my mind. Whew. So, all right. So fat, let's fast forward to today. So, you know, and it looks like in 12 and 13, you started ramping up the business. You got started doing a couple hundred inspections a year. And then obviously that's continued. You guys cracked the thousand mark, right? And yeah. was this 17, 16, 17? I think it was 2016, 2017. Yeah. Uh, and now a multi-inspector company. Yeah. So I, um, 2015, I lost 300 inspections that I could track. Um, I don't know if you've noticed the trend, but I do a lot of tracking and research and then I did the math. So I said, I just lost a hundred thousand dollars this year that I could have had if I would have, you know, stopped being so prideful and hire somebody because everybody's, you know, that first hire is terrifying. You, you don't know if they're going to do it right. Um, but at that point I had a different motivation is that I lost business. Plus my loyal agents were trying to schedule and they weren't able to because my calendar was full. Um, so I'm like, am I going to lose my loyal agents because um, my, I'm booked out 10 days? And so I hired my first guy and, and I read that you can only hope for your employees to be 85% of who you are. Don't expect mm -hmm. them to be 100% and be, be satisfied with that. Be satisfied mm -hmm. with 85%. So I, I trained him. He ended up doing 450 inspections his first year, which looking back on it, I kind of feel bad for him because I, I kind of eased into it. it him, we, I kind of threw him off a speedboat. Yeah. Had to, had to run. So, um, so yeah, hired him the next year, hired another. So, and now we have, I just hired the sixth guy and I actually only met him once. My uh, inspector manager did everything. So, I passed that off to him. Last year, I did 17 inspections. Uh, the year before, I think I did 120. So I've kind of tapered off and just am now managing everything, which is what I've always wanted to do from the beginning is to have employees to get my time back to spend with my family. Um, so that's kind of where we're at now. Wow. Well, first of all, congratulations. And thank you for sharing uh, just the amazing journey and story. Um, I'm super excited. And, and we may even chop this up into two different you know, videos and episodes. Um, Cause this is like an entrepreneurial journey, you know, that you've been through and um, what you've overcome. So I want to, if you don't mind, I want to dig into some of that. Then we'll get into some of the home inspection specific stuff and into blip and kind of current day stuff. Um, but thinking yeah, about, I, I, uh, I talk a lot. So like I said, you're going to have to, my, my research mind is such that I feel like I need to tell everybody what I know. <laughs> this is like, great. It has to be like a full and complete. So my wife's like, you need, to, you could have said that story in like two minutes. I'm like, well, kind of had to, had to tell this before this. So. These details matter though. As both of us being entrepreneurs, we both remember all of those stages where we either read something or talked to someone that really impacted us by telling right. a really real story of where they're at. So I, that's why I love the first part of this because I think this will just be kind of an entrepreneurial piece of content that right. any aspiring entrepreneur finds interesting. Um, but talk to me a little about the mindset and the drive through the ups and downs because you mentioned that there's plenty of setbacks um, that you took us through in terms of being laid off, kind of the pressure from family. Um, throughout all of that, how did you keep, or just talk to us about the mindset of keeping your mind on, hey, I'm accumulating knowledge. 
it will pay off one day. Um, because a lot of people can't push through that and they just say you resign to the 10, $15 an hour job. Yeah. I can't remember who said it. Um, but there's a quote that says people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in five or 10 years. And what that means is that a lot of the times people will try something for six to 12 months and they're not getting traction. So they give up. So then they try something else for six to 12 months and they're not getting any traction. So they give up. Um, one of the other books that really affected me. And if I said that it, you know, it's in the top 10 or even the top five um, is the millionaire fast lane by MJ DeMarco. Mm -hmm. And in there, he says that he's like, focus, like stop jumping around and focus on something for five years. And he said, if you focus on something for five years, you'd be surprised at kind of where you're at. Um, so I think that's important is the time that you're spending and the focus that you have is stop jumping around on stuff, focus on something and just keep chipping away at it and don't give up after six to 12 months and move on to the next thing. Um, two is that you have to have something that's like driving you. Like, why are you waking up in the morning type of thing? And I'm not going to say that I wake up every day saying like, I'm ready to go. Like there's those days we all have that we just don't want to get out of bed. But if you remember why you're doing it and if it's a strong enough motivation, then you're going to do what it takes. So again, if you ask somebody, why do you do what you do? Um, they might have surface level answers like to make money or to pay my bills. And then it's important to dig deeper. Um, I think it was Simon Sinek uh, wrote, start with why. And he says, okay, well, why do you want to make money? And then you say to pay my bills is the next level. And then what, why is it important for you to pay your bills? Well, so that I don't, you know, so I have electricity and food and well, why is that important to you? And so if you keep digging down, you'll get to the actual, you just keep asking why until you get down to the root, which the root for me is that the drives me and motivates me is that I don't want my kids to grow up how I did with, with no food, no shelter. And every night we pray with them and we say, thank you for our food, our house and our warm beds. <laughs> Cause I want them to know that people don't have those things. And a lot of people take those things for granted. Like, you go to bed, you lay in your bed, your thermostat set at 71 or 70, <laughs> you're warm. You go to the pantry, you open up, you have food. Uh, you have the convenience to go to the store. You have a car, gas you can get in. I mean, as a kid, I had no shoes. Uh, we walked to the little corner store. My, we had food stamps that, um, that we got. And I remember the best thing was my mom giving me one one food stamp, one dollar, and then a dime, and then I could go to the corner store, walk to the corner store, and uh, buy a pack of zingers. Uh, if you know what those are, it's like a Twinkie with frosting yep. on the top. Yep. Dude, those zingers were like amazing. <laughs> when you're going from ketchup packets and and uh, sticks of butter, um, and you know we'd have food at school and that kind of thing, which was good. And I remember we'd go over to our friend's house and they would ask if we wanted to stay for dinner, if we were hungry and I would just start bawling and they're like, what's wrong with you? But I was crying because I wanted to say yes. Cause I was so hungry that like, I just wanted to eat food and they were asking me, I'm like, just give me the food. So <laughs> I have all those, those memories. And so the hard thing for me is how do I instill that in my children and make sure that they appreciate what they have? Because right. 
they have those things. But that's, that's my why is that I don't want my kids, I want my kids to have a better life than I did, which I think a lot of people, that's their thing. But you have to connect an emotion to your why so that when you're talking about it, like I just was with, you know, rocking my son, you have to get emotional. Like motivation is tied to emotion. So if you just say, I just want to make money, there's no emotion in that. So you right. have to get to the emotional part. Like what, what drives you? And it's, and it's going to be whatever that, that emotion is for you. I love that. And I'm going to link to all these books in the description that we, we've mentioned. I just listened to starts with why like a year ago, very impactful. And I completely agree. I think the money, it's a, it's a chasing the carrot kind of thing. It, it's never enough. You know, you ask millionaires, they want to be multimillionaires. You ask multimillionaires, they want to be billionaires. And some of them are miserable and unhappy. Yep. Um, yep. Lots of them, I'd say. But um, I, I want to transition a little because I, I think this segment of it has been great. And we could probably do another episode just on the entrepreneurial journey. Um, I did notice the the theme of reading and soaking up everything like a sponge is something I always hear on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Every one of his guests that are high performers tend to just read and soak up information. So I think that's worth mentioning to any aspiring entrepreneurs is it's not wasted time. You know, Mark Cuban always says a book for 10 bucks is the best bargain on the planet, you know, I like that. I like because that. it's, you could get one idea that plants a seed. So um, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or an inspector aspiring to be any of those, get your hands on anything you can read. That's semi applicable to what you could do. Yeah. And if I could just uh, plug a note is um, a lot of people say like at the end of the year, they say, I read 60 books this year and they're kind of bragging about it a little bit. And um, for me, it's, it's not how many books you've been through, but how many books have gone through you. And what I mean by that is you can read a book and not get anything out of it. Like, did you actually absorb the information? Did you actually apply the information? Cause if you read 60 books and do nothing, it didn't really help. Yep. So the way I read books is I usually read them two or three times is I'll read it quickly and underline areas that I want to go back on. And then a second time I'll read the only the underlined parts that I thought were important. And then the third time I'll create an action list of, okay, what, what am I supposed to do with this information? So I don't read 60 books a year. I probably read 12 or 20, but it's a lot more deeper mm -hmm. and I'm actually applying the information because you could read a book that has a lot of actionable steps in it, like profit first, you know, you're setting up bank accounts and all this stuff, but then if you don't do any of that stuff, it doesn't really serve you. So don't just read books. Books are valuable only when, when you're actually doing something with the information. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, a couple home inspection questions for you. I think, uh, you know, if a lot of new inspectors and, and first year inspectors tend to listen to the podcast and watch, watch our videos. How did you get those first 10 inspections? Do you remember when like on your own, did they come through Google from having that just set up and people stumbling across it? Or did you, was it the pounding the pavement type stuff? It's kind of both. Um, my wife, every day, she was like, you need to go talk to agents. You need to go to offices. You need to market. We need like business. <laughs> and I didn't like that. I thought my online approach was going to be just fine. Um, so what happened was, one day an agent posted his really big agent posted on Facebook. So I, I friended agents, mm -hmm. uh, looked up agents that were popular. I saw their name on billboards and that kind of thing. And I friended them on Facebook cause that was a, 
passive, non-social, didn't have to talk to anybody. Exactly. <laughs> Stock you out real quick. Add you. Yep. Yeah. And then they see your home inspector. So they accept the friend request. So this top agent posted, I need somebody. He had these magnets with the football, the college football schedule uh, for our local two universities here. And he had that on a, a football magnet. And then he had his information at the bottom. And so he posted on Facebook, Hey, um, I've got, I can't remember how many they were, but it was probably a thousand or 2000 magnets that he needed somebody to go uh, put on doors of these condos and townhouses um, in our area. And he's like, I'll pay $10 an hour. So I messaged him and said, Hey, Jimmy, um, I'll do all that for free. If you use me for a couple of home inspections and kind of try me out. <laughs> and he said, can you be here in 30 minutes at my office? <laughs> and I might get my pajamas. <laughs> and so I'm like, I just said, yes. I'm like, yes, I'll be there. I didn't even know where the office was. So I had to like look it up. And luckily it wasn't more than 30 minutes away. So I get my car and drive over there. Um, and he's like in basketball shorts and a t-shirt. And he's like, sorry, I just went to the gym. And I said, what do you need me to do? And so he gave me the, a box of these magnets and showed me the neighborhood or the condos. And so he's like, um, let me know when you finish. And when I was selling alarms, one of the things that helped was running door to door because it kept your heart rate going. And it, it you know, I, I can think it's Zig Ziglar or somebody said he who has the best or the most energy wins. So I used to run door to door and it used to, you know, your energy would go up. So I, uh, this was like a four or five level condo complexes. There were probably eight or 12 buildings. Um, and I just ran up and down those stairs and my job was just to stick the magnets on the door. So that was great. I didn't have to talk to anybody. I just stuck the magnets on the doors and then, um, he's like, it's probably gonna take you two days. And I was done in 45 minutes. I went back to his office and he's like, what are you doing? What, like, what are you doing here? I said, I'm done. I'm like, do you have any more? And he's like, what the heck? <laughs> Cause most people being paid $10 an hour, they, you know, go slow. Cause you're being paid off of how much time. Right. I just wanted to get it done. And I think he was so impressed by like the work ethic and that he's like, did you, I'm sure he like followed up and verified that I actually put those on there. Cause he's probably like, he just probably tossed him in the dumpster and <laughs> came back. And so he, so anyways, I, I'm sure he verified it and saw that or probably drove by and saw all the, st all the magnets on the doors. Um, so then he gave me my first couple home inspections and he is doing probably 18 buyers transactions a month. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't get all of those, but, he started using me and then um, he still uses us to this day. He's still, he's always one of our top one or one or three agents um, every year. But now he does probably 60 buyers, um, 60 to 80 buyers a year. And then he has 280 sellers a year ish. And so, you know, all those sellers turn into buyers um, and everybody knows him. So when I, called agents after getting an inspection from him. I said, Oh yeah, do you know Jimmy Rex? And they're like, Oh yeah, everybody knows Jimmy. And I said, well, he, you know, I do all of his inspections. <laughs> and then they're like, wow, Jimmy uses you. And I'm like, yep. 
and then they're like, wow, maybe we should use you if Jimmy's using you. So I kind of name dropped Jimmy, got a couple of other big agents, then I start name dropping them, which again, I learned in, in uh, door-to-door sales, when you sell an alarm to somebody, you go to the next house and say, hey, you know, Mary next door, she's having her system installed. You know, we can do yours right after hers. And then they're like, oh, if the neighbor did it, then we'll do it too. And it's kind of that phenomenon of everybody's, if there's like 10 people looking up on the corner of a street, you like stop because you're like, what are they looking at? Uh, yeah. FOMO, classic FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, guys, that is where we cut off part one because that's where we cut it off for the YouTube video version of this. So that wraps up part one. Uh, you can find part two next up on your playlist. <laughs>